0: This is a Triple J podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, it's Dave Hazy. welcome to the Hack Podcast. Do you know how many people have played Dungeons and Dragons since it was invented? Fifty million. Well, that's an estimate, but still a huge amount, tens of millions of people. As we come up to the game's 50th anniversary, why is it that so many are still in love with it? We're going to be taking you into some of the D&D communities popping up right around Australia. And I want to hear from so many of you. If you're into Dungeons & Dragons, we've got your stories as well. Also coming up, we speak with journalist and broadcaster Stan Grant about his new book, The Queen is Dead. What conversations does Stan think we should be having about the monarchy in Australia? First, though. Hack.
1: Tasmanians have a bloody gutful over your stadium.
0: On Triple Jack. Protests, resignations, there's a lot happening in Tasmania right now. So many people furious about plans for this new AFL stadium in Hobart. It's going to cost more than $700 million, right? Half of that is Tassie state funds, but half of it's federal funds. So even if you're not in Tasmania, it still affects you. And a lot of Tasmanians are saying that money could be spent in a lot of other places. If you're from Tassie, I want to know, how do you feel about the stadium? Do you agree with the government pushing on with the plans despite the huge backlash? You can message in oh four three nine seven five seven triple five. Already got so many messages coming through. Someone says, I live in Tassie and the proposed stadium is such a waste. Upgrade the current venue, including parking, or put the money into a stadium in Launceston, a more central location for all of Tassie. That's from Marie and Bernie. Yeah, in a bit, we're going to have a chat with a Tasmanian senator dead against this stadium. But first, here's Kimberly Price to fill you in. I'm
2: proud and excited to announce the awarding of the 19th licence to play in the AFL and AFLW competitions to Tasmania.
3: Footy is heading to Tassie officially. After so many years of fighting for a team, there was a bit of excitement.
2: This has been a hard fight by many, many Tasmanians. Over a number of generations. But
3: that's kind of over now.
2: So it over, Jeremy. If there's any room up there, you can stick your stadium up your bum.
3: Now, we love our football down
1: here, do we? we? love it with everything we've got. But I'll tell you what, we have two great stadiums that are having money spent on them already. We do not need another one. When well, I have people waiting at A&E for hours on end. I have girlfriends out there that are staying at my
3: house because they have no bloody roof over their heads. Over the weekend, around 6,000 people took to the streets of Hobart in protest against the Tassie government's $715 million spending on a waterfront stadium for the new team. The state is divided on the decision. Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe says he won't back down, but two Liberal MPs have quit the party, plunging the Tasmanian government in to minority. And that's a big deal. Remember, Tasmania is Australia's only Liberal government. I think it's a waste of money and we have so many problems. Like, there's no... We're the only state capital that doesn't have a children's hospital and yet we're buying a stadium instead.
1: So we really think the government has got its priorities wrong. We believe that that three-quarters of a billion dollars should be put into housing and health and cost of living relief uh, instead of the
3: AFL stadium.
4: I think it's a great thing for Tasmania, personally.
3: Lara Alexander and John Tucker are the two MPs who quit the Liberal Party. And with next week's Tasmanian budget looming, they say the money is better spent elsewhere.
1: I would probably say
3: that 99% of the messages and the phone calls I have received have all been about congratulating for um, John and myself for the integrity and for standing up and for actually articulating what many Tasmanians have been have been saying and asking for. But the Premier says the money spent to bring the AFL to Tasmania is money well spent.
2: We'll be reaching out to uh, all Members of Parliament and of course uh, John and Lara. Uh, to ensure that uh, the number one focus is the Tasmanian people.
3: While the protests in Tasmania continue, the AFL has another fight on its hands. The
0: Tasmanian
4: Devils on the loose! Run for your lives! The
3: Tasmanian Devils seems like the perfect name for the 19th AFL side, but there are copyright issues with Warner Brothers for their infamous Looney Tunes character. <laughs> with cost of living pressures being felt across the island and the Government thrown into disarray. The excitement of the decades-long battle for an official AFL team seems to be all but lost. Stick
5: your stadium, Stick your stadium,
2: Stick your stadium! Up, up, up your up. Bum.
0: Hack on Triple J. Yeah, Kimberley Price with that update. A lot of opinions on this one. Somebody says, you know, we don't need a new stadium. Our health system's in crisis. So is our education system. Someone in Hobart there. Another person says, Launceston has a perfectly good stadium. It's only two hours from Hobart. We are so short on housing here. A lot of people in Tassie want to speak about this and a lot of politicians are speaking up. We heard about those who've resigned from the Liberal Party. Tasmanian Senator Tammy Tyrrell is with the Jackie Lambie Network. We heard a bit of Jackie before. She's got a lot of opinions too. We've got Senator Tyrrell with us now. Senator, thanks for coming on Hack.
6: Hey, please don't call me that. Call me Tammy. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Tammy. Why do you think this stadium is such a bad idea?
6: Well, it's nearly a billion dollars, and we've got a health, education, and cost of living stuff going on down here and across Australia. To me, that's not a good, good spend up of the um, taxpayer dollar. Billion dollars into something that nobody down
0: here really wants. Did you Bonkers. did you expect it to blow up as big as it has?
6: I expected it would. Like, I was at a tiny little town down south called Jeeveston about two months ago and they were going off about it because nobody had come and asked them if they wanted a bloody stadium. Um, they were like, football's good, football's great and we'd love a team but I can't afford to go get the groceries I want. I can't afford to pay the rent. Um, and I've got two adult sons and they're struggling. Why?" Like, like, don't get me wrong, they're not struggling as much as a lot of people, but they're they're struggling to pay rent. They're struggling to buy groceries. They're struggling struggling to go out and do the things that their age group want to do. And they're not even at university. There's a lot of kids out there, um, young adults, that they're help debt, hex debt. That's about to explode as well. So how can they afford to live and go to university at the same time? A lot of them are going to be falling out. There's a lot of
0: people that are pissed off. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been speaking about the student debt staff and a lot of the cost of living issues affecting young people, especially over the past week with the budget. We've been chatting yeah. about that a lot, Tammy. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, I know people who have flown to Melbourne to access GP appointments for their children yeah. from Tasmania as it was cheaper yeah. and an easier option than what they could find locally. Another person, I'm all for the 19th AFL team, but they do not need a new stadium for it. No. Nah. The, the stadium is a condition, though, of Tasmania getting a team licence to join the AFL. So do you yeah. think that that's bad negotiations? Do you think that needs to be uh, renegotiated? This is really bad
6: example of peer group pressure, isn't it? Like, to be one of the cool kids, you've got to have a stadium and you're not going to get to be a cool kid and have an AFL team if you don't build a stadium that nobody wants. To me, it's it's roughly been in the worst form of peer group pressure ever ever um I know a lot of kids out there could give Rockcliffe a lot of advice on how to deal with peer group pressure and what to do with a bully and I think we've been bullied into it pushed into a corner
0: there are some people though and we've got one on the text line here saying the stadium's going to be bringing in a lot of money well spent in my eyes that's a person on the text line now, could it be a good thing for the economy? If it's bringing people into Tasmania in the long run, surely that's going to be a boost? Oh,
6: look, we can see the business case to it. We can see that down the track it will draw a lot of um, conferences. Uh, maybe Elton John will come here before he dies or Beyonce or, you know, some of the other bands. But you know what? At the moment, we we can't afford to have that kind of expenditure. If you're anything like me, you look at your money, you know where it's going to be spent, and you know what the luxuries are going to be. And like a billion-dollar stadium's not one of those luxuries that I can afford. I don't know about you, Dave.
0: But- <laughs> <laughs> look, it's not my um, spare cash, that's for sure. Do you reckon yeah. Tasmanians would be angry if the Premier turned around and said, actually, no, I'm not going to go through with this anymore? If If there was a change of mind as a result of what we've seen over the past few days especially, do you think people would be angry about that?
6: I think they would actually give him some respect and give him um, props because it takes a, a brave man and a strong politician to go, you know what, I'm wrong. And that's one of the things when I got elected that I encourage, that it's okay to flip-flop. It's okay to listen to people and get better and more informed information and go, you know what, I stuffed up. Let, let's do a, a complete 180 and fix this, this up. It, and I, it's not too late for him. Look, his own party's even bailing on him. It's it's sort of like proofs in the pudding, really, isn't it? He yeah. could even do one of those monkey surveys if he really wants to to get a true, you know, depiction of what people in Tasmania
0: want. Well, I'm sure um, that, I'm sure they're doing a lot of they're, they're doing a lot of polling at the moment. I would think, uh, uh, Senator Tammy Tyrrell. and I mean, I know you've been speaking to a lot of people. Um, we appreciate you coming on Hack and kind of giving us a bit of an explanation from Tasmania's perspective, and um, we'll be speaking with you soon, no doubt.
6: Oh, thanks for letting an old girl on. Appreciate
0: it. (laughs) Some messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, surely the stadium will pay for itself in a few years and become quite profitable for Tasmania in no time. That was from Mick in Hobart. Another person, the Tasmanian government's being this out of touch with the needs of the working class is a real let them eat cake moment. That's from Mitch in Newcastle. And another person, Dave, made as a mainlander who moved to Tassie four years ago, I can assure you Tassie's so underfunded to any other state, hands down, we don't need a stadium, we need more police, healthcare and other
2: essentials. Right, time to move on. Pack It holds weight for First Nations people because that crown put a weight on us.
4: On Triple J.
0: Yeah, when the Queen died last year, the reaction was pretty extraordinary. The scale, the tone, the overall wall-to-wall coverage was like nothing a lot of young Australians had experienced before. And a lot of you were telling us, oh, it's a bit much, it's overwhelming. And we've seen it again recently with the coronation, obviously. Even though there has been this big commitment to tributes and tradition, there are big discussions that haven't been happening as much around the legacy of colonialism and monarchy in Australia. And those issues are at the centre of a new book out. It's called The Queen is Dead, and it's been written by one of Australia's biggest names in journalism, Stan Grant, a Wiradjuri and Roy man. To talk about it, he's with me now. G'day, Stan. Thanks very much for coming on Hack.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: So just over a week after the Queen died, you wrote this really powerful piece for the ABC. It's actually in the book. You start the book with this, and it describes your reaction as an Aboriginal man in Australia to the coverage of the Queen's death. And you talk about this choking, asphyxiating anger when you're reflecting on the suffering of Indigenous Australians. The impact it had on you, not just mentally, but physically as well, I'm wondering, eight months on, how do you feel about the conversations we've had in Australia about the monarchy?
2: It's been a real journey for me. You're right um, to reflect on that immediate response because it was an immediate, visceral response to the death of the Queen. It took me by surprise, actually, but perhaps I I shouldn't be surprised, but it was a cathartic moment. It sort of tore open the wounds of history and I was confronted with the reality that in, in this woman's passing and to separate the individual from what she represented, what she served, the duty she had to the Crown. In the passing of the Queen and our response to it, I was confronted by what matters. And what mattered to Australia was the death of the Queen and the mourning of the Queen, people wearing black on air. Right across the ABC, everybody wore black. There were hushed tones criticism was pushed to the sides or only spoken in muted terms, that we could not have the the real conversation and we couldn't hold the two things, the suffering of First Nations people and the death of the Queen. People were were choosing and the choice that Australia made and the choice the media made made me feel terribly betrayed and it put me on this journey where I wrote the book and the journey was really into the death of the Queen as a cathartic moment confronted me with my own history and asked me what What am I going to do with this history? Am I going to be a prisoner to this history? What about the anger? What about the vengeance, the resentment? Where do I find the love and the hope? It took me back to my country. It took me back to my, my people, our language, faith, God, all of these things were swirling around and so I suppose I've been on that journey and looking at the coronation it makes the coronation look so absurd. This spectacle that seems... From another era, because it is from another era. It's commemoration. It's the past with no future. It just looked so empty, because of the journey that I've been through. I think with with the 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 death of the Queen and how we responded to that as a nation.
0: In the book, Stan, you refer to the late Queen as the White Queen, and you use that term over and over again, and you repeat, "The White Queen is dead. The White Queen is dead." You make it clear, though, when you say that, you're not referring to the person, really, the grandmother, the old lady. It's more than that. What is the White Queen?
2: It's what she represented. I mean, she came to the throne at the height of whiteness and empire. And we saw the world turn during her lifetime. We saw the end, the crumbling of the edifice of empire, the rise of the American century post-World War Two, And now into what we are... Calling the post-American world with the rise of China and 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 the, the the challenges to American dominance and power in the world and and her life represented that and and at the the core of that is the idea of whiteness as a governing principle of which she was a beneficiary and a participant and a defender. She was trapped in it as much as we all are, and she enjoyed the privileges of that. The reason she was the queen is is because of the idea of whiteness as an organising principle, the idea that the divine right of kings.
0: In the book you write, the time has come for a reckoning, let the spell be broken. What is the spell?
2: Whiteness, the invention of an idea that has brought so much pain to the world. There is nothing as race. Racism creates race. We are all of a human race. The idea of a hierarchy built around A racial idea that centered whiteness and measured us all in reflection of that whiteness. We have to let that go. I describe whiteness as a maze of mirrors. We all see ourselves in it and it distorts our view of ourselves. It distorts whiteness view of itself too. James Baldwin, the great African-American writer, said there is no such thing as white people, there are just people who believe they are white. And and I return to that refrain, the white queen is dead constantly. It's like a call and response. It's like a blues song. It centres us and allows me to take another step to explore other ideas, then return to that idea again.
0: Do you reckon we're at a turning point when it comes to our relationship and understanding of the monarchy? Like, if you think about the coronation that we've seen and all the pageantry and traditions, how much has changed since the Queen died over the past year?
2: I think it becomes even more apparent to me how redundant it is, how over it is, that these things will continue to matter. I don't see us rushing to a republic, but I think in a real sense, these things have already disappeared. They don't have that hold that perhaps they once did. I I talk about in the book, the last white queen. Yes, there'll be future monarchs who are white. We have King Charles, who is white. But he will not live in a world that is as, as assuredly white. And I think we've already passed that. It's now a question of what comes after this, the West is is it is shifting the, the 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 balance power is shifting and we see this constant debate don't we around holding on to the global rules based order as if this is holy writ global rules based order reflected and order of empire, of colonisation. While we are still stuck having these old discussions around monarchy and empire and what that might mean and how we fail still to grapple with the fundamental questions of the truths of our own nation, the world is turning anyway. And these conversations are increasingly about a world that was and not a world that is or will be.
0: You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with journalist, broadcaster Stan Grant about his new book, The Queen is Dead. Stan, recently the King described feeling a lot of sorrow at the suffering caused by the slave trade. There are now these calls for the royal family to do more. Like we've got Senator Lydia Thorpe calling for an apology for compensation for First Nations people, not just here but around the world. What would you like to see
2: from the royal family? Look at my own people. We're at 2024, we'll mark... 200 years since the declaration of martial law on my people. Um, A war which was reported at the time in the newspapers as a quote exterminating war. An attempt to wipe my people off the face of the earth. That was done in the name of the crown. This wasn't the the sort of frontier wars we're learning about settlers and others fighting First Nations people. This was a declaration. So there is a, a complicity in the crown that continues today. The Queen never, in her 70-year reign, said sorry for what happened here. I think, you know, if there is an apology, how do you... What redress is possible for what happened to our people? There is no justice or redress big enough for that.
0: Stan, there are going to be people listening to this who do not agree with you. Their experience and their opinions are very different. What do you say to those people?
2: can have a different opinion. We all enter the world with our own histories and we see the world through our own eyes. These things happened. These things we can't disagree with. They are the truths. They are undeniable. But we meet each other. I would say to them, imagine if these things happened to you and try to find yourself in us as we seek to find ourselves in you.
0: It's compelling reading. It's passionate. At times it's heartbreaking Stan Grant, your book, The Queen is Dead, it's out now. Thanks so much for joining us on Hack.
2: Thank you for reading the book. Thank you for caring and, and, and having this, this conversation. Um, much appreciated. Thank you.
0: Hack on Triple J. And yeah, a lot of people on the text line, someone says, so powerful and true, I can't wait to read the book. Another person says, look, I don't support the royal family, but I do think there are benefits to belonging to a collaborative group of countries. We should stay part of the Commonwealth for sure. A lot of
4: opinions there. Time to move on. Hack. 20 odd years ago, you never would have had that demographic playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is just awesome. And that's just going to keep growing. On Triple J.
0: Hey, are you into tabletop games? Like I'm talking specifically actually about Dungeons and Dragons. If you've never played it, you definitely know someone who's into it. It's been around since the 70s. But the hectic fantasy world of D&D is going through a bit of a resurgence right now. It's coming up to the 50th anniversary and the kinds of people who are getting into it are also changing, apparently. Some groups are even saying interest has doubled in recent months. So what is behind this? Well, hack reporter Angel Parsons has been working with the ABC team in Rockhampton where there's a massive Dungeons and Dragons community and she entered the Forgotten Realms for this story. We need to exchange
4: steel and wood for more wood, but you can't get uh, any wood unless you have the magical feather, in which case you do that in reverse. Your turn, big boy. Boom, boom, boom. All right, so you can either
0: roll, trade, attack or
4: bizarro world it. Attack. No, 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 no.
0: We've
5: all found ourselves in this Auntie Donna skit at some point, right? They're spoofing settlers of Catan here, but Lava Game Night or Hate It... For decades, there's been one tabletop game with a following like no other. And this year, Dungeons & Dragons enthusiasts say its popularity has risen even further.
4: TV and movies has definitely helped. Stranger Things definitely sort of brought the hype back to it all, which was good, and then obviously with the latest movie, people are sort of going through there, and I guess with new players they go, oh, that team's really cool, and then sort of look at taking those steps.
5: This is Dylan Williams. He and his dad run a huge comic book shop in Rocky, central Queensland, and they have a huge space set aside to host D&D games.
4: D&D for some people is just, I guess, their escape from reality, whereas some people find it in a comic book or in video games and stuff like that. D&D is that for other people as well, and they get that social connection.
5: And the place is buzzing, especially since the Honour Among Thieves movie came out in March.
2: We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're going to fix it. Well, how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure
3: it out over a drink.
4: Probably best. The popularity of the game hasn't hasn't, hasn't dwindled. If, if nothing else, it just continues to grow and grow because more people are finding it.
5: Now, if you're the game Grinch who can't stand the thought of a three-hour Monopoly sitting, I'm very happy to bring you the story of Kyle Loder. He's part of the new generation of D&D enthusiasts.
4: Yeah, I stumbled across the starter pack there and I'm like, I've heard about this Dungeons & Dragons thing. I wouldn't mind giving it a go.
5: That's how it started. How's it going now?
4: We actually just finished up a campaign that had been going for three years last week.
5: Yep. Three years. And Kyle's now a dungeon master, which is like the organiser. And you might be wondering how the campaign, which is a continuing storyline or adventure, came to an end.
4: Well, I accidentally destroyed the world.
5: I couldn't possibly, like, explain further, so I'll let Kyle.
4: I was tearing apart a sentient book because it it basically teleported one of my party members to another dimension, and I was screaming at the sentient book saying, bring back my friend, rip back my friend, or I'll keep ripping your pages out, and I ripped out a page um, that basically was an earth-destroying spell, um, and our wild magic druid touched it and activated it accidentally, Um, and it blew the whole world up. Whoops.
5: And not only are there more and more people getting into the game, Dylan's dad, Rob, who runs the comic store, says it's become cool now.
4: They were a little bit outcastish back in those days. They weren't the cool kids, they weren't the jocks or the sporty guys. They were the ones that would just, you know, hide away. Now, when we see the popularity of this from things like Stranger Things, we've got the jocks and we've got the, the cool girl, the mean girls or whatever you want to look at it. Um, they're all now playing all of this stuff. This is now part of the cool situation.
5: And the company that makes Dungeons and Dragons, Wizards of the Coast, says 50 million people have played it since it came out in 1974. And nearly 50 years later, Dylan says it's going strong and a great social outlet for at least a thousand people in his regional city.
4: A lot of the our players that we've had come through here, they've gone, oh I was interested in playing it, and then they've, you know, made some fantastic friends, and then that's just things that you need to build on on that hobby and stuff too, which is really awesome. Hack on Triple J.
0: Angel Parsons there. She's fully into it now. She's on a campaign right now, probably. And you can read more about that story on the ABC News website. Messages coming through. Alex and Fitzroy, big D&D fan, got involved during lockdown, two years of it, and it got me through the lockdown. Melissa Nile runs the Dungeons and Dragons Australia Facebook community. It's got thousands of members right across the country and she's with me now. G'day, Melissa. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hi, thanks for having me. Are you seeing a huge spike in interest in D&D as well in your group?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, In the past couple of years, certainly since lockdown, we had a massive spike. And then as things started to open, things slowed down a little bit. And then the movie coming out, wow, um, we've just hit...
0: 10,000 members today so yeah wow it's crazy <laughs> that's huge and yeah you mentioned the movie obviously that's having an impact we've got a message here from a teacher who says I run a and d club in our high school for students it's such a positive community for the students involved it allows them a space to be creative and have fun outside of the classroom and it teaches so many important interpersonal skills we've been hearing this a lot Melissa what do you think you learn from Dungeons and Dragons what does it taught you
1: apart from the fact that it's cool to be a geek. (laughs) um, Definitely helped me build some of those interpersonal skills. Um, I was a drama kid and then I became a frustrated drama kid once I left high school. (laughs) Um, So it gave me an outlet for that and taught me positive ways to interact with people. Um, It also teaches you a lot of problem solving that you might not otherwise uh, engage with out in the world. Um, definitely believe in putting D and D on your CV.
0: Okay. Oh wow. Okay, that's huge. I'll chuck it on there. Um, do you think, Melissa? Like, is this something that people like to do with their friends, or uh, they come to meet other people? How does that work?
1: Oh, that's a uh, two two way a two avenue a two way avenue there. Yeah, definitely. Um, groups of friends will get together and start a game. Just try and and see whether or not it's their thing. Um, and then come to you know have three-year-long campaigns, um, but that we are seeing an increase in websites and apps that facilitate, um, you know, people finding like-minded players and DMs, forming a group, starting to play online. It's it's really like however you come to it uh, is, is just fine by everybody.
0: Yeah, and I guess like a lot of people saying that the types of people interested are changing as well as we just heard. Have you met a lot of friends, Melissa, through this?
1: Uh, absolutely. I have met people from all walks of life, um, international as well, met some some really great people who I've made hard and fast friends with over in you know the US, the UK, all through Europe, throughout Asia. It's really one of those things where it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you've got money or no money. It doesn't matter what language you speak because everyone speaks a common language of fun.
0: Oh. That's so nice. What a way to end the show. We rarely end on such a positive note, Melissa Nile. Thank you very much for your enthusiasm and for coming and and celebrating this great game. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on Hack.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.